0: Welcome to the Cordwainers In Their Shoes podcast. My name is Katie Greenyer, and I'm Creative Talent and Network Director at Pentland Brands. Cordwainers are shoemakers and today the worshipful company of Cordwainers looks to promote footwear design and entrepreneurship in both education and the fashion industry. To celebrate the company's 750th anniversary, we've brought back our podcast for season two to explore what it's like to walk in the shoes of those who have made them. I'm sitting here in Fulham on a beautiful shiny day and it's even brighter as I'm opposite my friend Atalanta Weller. Atalanta won New Gen in 2010. Her groundbreaking sculptural shoes form part of the V&A's permanent collection and are regularly exhibited internationally. Her work can be found in fashion and design press such as Vogue, Marie Claire, Elle, ID and Monocle magazine. The shoes have a strong following from Sienna Miller, Halle Berry to Jessie J and Lady Gaga. Atalanta and I are both Cordwainers, members of the ancient city of London Livery Company, which has been supporting shoemakers for the past 750 years. We are also both judges on the Cordwainers Footwear Awards. Hey, Atlanta, how lovely to see you in here. (laughs) And you. (laughs) Can I just say that Atlanta has got the most beautiful bright blue nails. I've never seen Atlanta with painted nails before and it is a dream. Well, thanks.
1: Yeah, here they are for you. (laughs) (laughs) So should we get straight to it? Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up on the side of a very windy little hill in Gloucestershire. There were 14 houses, quite a lot of sheep, uh, yeah, and and that was it. And what did your parents do? My dad was a bit older. He retired when I was about 12. He'd been in the army, then he was a bookseller, and then he kind of wrote. He was sort of writing historical stuff. And my mother. Had been a cook, but actually, then she was just a kind of she was she was a housewife. But she's very creative, so so yeah, the, the there's win- no, just a housewife. <laughs> <laughs> the Windy Hill sounds absolutely idyllic. Was it? It was. It was quite remote. Yeah, I had a pony and just wandered around the countryside mostly. <laughs> that was uh, couldn't really get anywhere. So that that was it mostly. So summarize your early fashion memories. Oh, we used to get the Sunday Times. And I would grab it and get the, st- the Sunday Times style, and that was uh, yeah, that was my kind of Bible from about I don't know, probably about well, forever since I was about eight, probably. Uh, and I loved it because my dad, my dad loved books and wouldn't let anyone buy magazines, so we have no magazines, <laughs> no TV. Yeah, so that was that that was it. So the Sunday style <laughs> the magazine Sunday was like your saviour, extremely, extremely <laughs> important. <Yeah. laughs> what was your ambition at school? Uh, I wanted to be a farmer. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah. No, I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to be a jockey at one point. I wanted to be a farmer, and then when I got to about seventeen, I wanted to do art stuff. But that was really difficult because that wasn't really allowed. Yeah. So that that was quite challenging. But then I did eventually get to get to art college. Yeah, did art foundation. In Cheltenham. So I kind of had a sort of revelation actually on a humanities trip of all places to (laughs) Russia when I was 17, which was my first time on an aeroplane. Topical. Um, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, We went to the hermitage where the art is just unbelievable. It was just the most sublime and kind of life-changing experience actually for me. It kind of, I just, just like, I have to have this. This has to be the way my life goes. I can't do whatever it was I was meant to be doing uh jockey well I think I was meant to be doing like a law degree or something which was never gonna was never gonna happen um but uh yeah so it was an interesting interesting time so then I went and did art foundation
0: and then how did you discover footwear because quite often foundation doesn't even talk about shoes
1: Well, it doesn't. And actually, I wasn't, I didn't sit comfortably in the fashion room because it was very much kind of a textiles based course. And I spent a lot of time, I like graphics, I like sculpture. I was actually doing my kind of main module with sculpture and I came in one day with loads and loads of shoes that I just collected in charity shops and kind of all around Cheltenham it was just like look at these they're so beautiful they're amazing and someone said to me oh you should do a degree in shoe design and my tutor a brilliant artist called Kathy Pilkington said actually there's this little college in East London where you can actually do that and I was like what that's uh yeah that's mad so then I was like right that's where I'm that's it that's what I'm doing Ooh. So then, everything. I was growing shoes. I was knitting shoes out of string. I was making ice shoes with with dead goldfish in them. It was sort of yeah. Anyway, so but one way or another, that took me to Cordwainers. How exciting! What was it like there? It was great. It was the it was the sort of the final year or so before it became a part of the London College of Fashion. So it was a time of a lot of change, but um, it was fantastic. We had amazing tutors and lots of them and. A really great year of other students actually and there's so many people there um who have gone on to do great things so it was really yeah I mean I, I just loved every every minute of it. So then what happened next? I'd planned to go I realised in my first year I didn't know anything I'd never been in a shoe factory at the end of the first year I was like well this is weird uh, so I'd been saving money up and I Found some document actually that Rupert Sanderson had done in the library. He'd got a bursary and had gone and looked at shoe factories when he was at, well, the previous year, actually, I think. So um, I took that information and went and knocked up basically, sort of, sort of barely email then. So I was writing letters to people. Yeah. And I basically went and took myself on a little tour around Italian factories by myself, not really no, speaking much Italian. Uh, just knocking on doors of shoe factories being like, hi, can I have a look around? And they were they were like, y- yeah. And so from that, I then got a, a stage at Bruno Magli, which I did the following summer in Bologna. And then I planned to go and work for them when I graduated. But actually I ended up, at, uh, I, yeah, then one way or another I went to Clark's. They sort of, I didn't realise they'd offered me a job and I'd been offered the stage at, at Clark's, which was actually turned out to be fantastic. So, and it was I was selling mobile phones on Oxford Street at the time. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, let's. They pay well, and, and and that's exciting. And actually, it was it was a great decision. They were brilliant, so I worked there for three. So, years. did you go
0: down to Somerset
1: initially? It was in London, and then going to Somerset sometimes. And then after a year, I moved to Somerset and was there for the next next two years. So, what was it like there? It was great. They had amazing facilities, brilliant kind of training programs. Um, and I got to travel. I kind of went to Brazil, I went to Italy. They really kind of looked after their young designers and and it was um, yeah, it was it was a great kind of training ground. It wasn't I guess what I thought I you know I knew I didn't want to end up in that area of footwear, but I also knew that it was an amazing training and I loved working just learning I mean it's an amazing industry just for learning every single day and when you're learning from people who've got literally generations of knowledge it's uh it's fantastic so yeah it was it was it was it was really good so why did you leave because oh, I was 25 and I wanted to come back to London and be more do more kind of fashion stuff I guess so, did you set up your own label? What did you do? I didn't. Then I went. I went. I still felt like I needed to learn more. I didn't really have the. I didn't feel like I was ready. So I freelanced for Hugo Boss for a bit, and then I worked for John Richmond in Italy, which was um, really challenging. In what way? Very challenging company to work for. I think they they have quite a high turnover of staff. They expect very long hours. It's sort of. Um, it was. Yeah, I was doing. I went to do women's shoes. I was doing women's shoes, men's shoes, bags, belts, <laughs> five belt collections, five bag collections, kids' shoes. It was kind of it was explosive, but again, like amazing kind of learning. But after it was about a year of that, and I was like, okay, I'm done. Probably I, burn I'm, out. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. It was just like, whew. Um, but again, met amazing people there as well. And but it was then at that point I was like, I'm. I want to have my own studio. I know enough that I can freelance and I can, I didn't know what I wanted my own label to look like, but I always wanted to do it, but I needed enough to be able to freelance to to pay my rent and whatever. So, so that's what I did. So freelanced and then started working on your... I got, well, I had a design studio. I was sharing a space off London Fields with loads of Product designers and furniture designers, and again, not really in the fashion space because that's not. It's I have always felt I sit more comfortably in a creative sense, probably more in sculpture, and in that that way. But actually, at that point, then I kind of was going out a lot, working out. Yeah, just I'd be in the studio all the time from sort of seven in the morning till ten at night. It was really fun, really fun bunch of people, and then it was also the time of kind of boombox in Hoxton Square, and I. Would go out there on Sunday nights, and we had our sort of club nights that I'd plan my freelance work around. (laughs) (laughs) It was great, and actually, it was there I met Henry Holland in, who yeah, through friends, and he was like, "Oh, I've got, I'm doing these t-shirts. Can you do some shoes for me?" And I was like, "Okay." So, so that was the first of, I think it did, yeah, I think it did nine, nine seasons with Henry. So lots. Yeah, the first few years I started. So I started doing that, started doing show shoes. I did Henry's and I did some for Gareth Pugh, Cena Stanek, and then started working on these kind of, I wanted to really push boundaries and shoes. So I was working doing... Um, Making shoes, but using sort of furniture techniques and doing stuff, building stuff in the computers and routing them in wood. And so, did you make them all in the UK or did you? Those were all made in the UK, actually. And the shoes for Henry initially were made in the UK. Yeah. And then, and then we kind of moved, yeah, variously studied because I was freelancing in Portugal. So I then I so I was going out there a lot. So then I started working with factories over there to start doing my own stuff and kind of because that's actually the really tricky thing when you're starting to find your own business and and you don't have lots of backing. Then how do you how can you credibly walk into a factory and kind of make those relationships, particularly when you're trying to design stuff that's really challenging for them to do. I mean, it's not like you're walking in and saying, Can you make me these ballerinas in five colours and then I'll just sell them and give you a nice order. I was kind of walking in and saying, I want to make these, can I make a mold for these? How does this work? And they'd say it's never you can't do it. That doesn't work. It's not, you know, so so it took a lot of commitment from a factory to also also support the kind of project the kind of craziness of what I was doing uh in, in some ways which I went through quite a lot of factories to start with it yeah got a back catalog <laughs> <laughs> got a back catalog of, of people that uh, wouldn't
0: be happy if you knocked on their door again <laughs> <So> <laughs> they,
1: were like, well, they were like we love it we love it but we just it, it's it's not it doesn't it's not commercially viable right now yeah so I had two years of kind of also just working a lot with stylists and making stuff for for shoots and and yeah, that was kind of building those relationships. So that then after two years I was like, all right, I'm ready to launch a brand. So let's let's get this on the road. So how um, did
0: you go about doing that?
1: Well I'd already met quite a lot of people. So I had I was very fortunate to have the support of sort of Sarah Moa and the various people in the British Fashion Council who run the New Gen program. So they they were very supportive so from my first my first three seasons I had that as a kind of um which was amazing from a kind of PR point of view yeah so that so so I basically got the products made and then took them to market and uh sold them to some shops because it wasn't really it didn't sell directly at that point it was just before things changed and people started selling directly two years later I would have had a very different business model I think
0: so Eugene, what happened was there a So you did you how did you enter it? What happened? Do do they have to enter you?
1: How do you go about? No, you just you just apply to it on you apply online. Yeah, I just applied online and um, just applied online. You do you literally you download the application form and then you just go through and then you spend hours and hours rewriting, figuring (laughs) out. And then there's an interview process, which I think the first time I had the interview, I was so nervous that I was sort of. holding drawings <laughs> this this is my shoe but can't. this is what i want to make um, <laughs> wobbly libres. voice yeah wobbly voice wobbly paper <laughs> um but you know they they have lots of really good people on the panel who can kind of see through that and do um, you think winning that changed your trajectory yeah definitely i think i think i i mean i i'd kind of Sort of almost accidentally fallen into this very kind of fast, sort of high fashion time, which was amazing. I mean, the other designers who all had it; were just so brilliant, and it was amazing to be sort of a part of that cohort of of people coming up at the same time. So yeah, I think I think it it did. We've gone from you, Jen. You've got your own collection. Yeah. So where
0: where are you selling? How are you distributing so I, this? I was
1: fortunate again to have. The support from browns which was in, in that time having the support of wholesale was was huge so in london it was browns and then eventually i was selling in harvey nichols as well and then because of the exposure i was getting i was able to sell would go to the trade fairs in paris show in london then show in paris and then i was selling in various shops in new york and in gallery lafayette in shanghai and and isitan in in hong kong or places that I'd I'd never been to at that point, um, but it was re- so that was really it was just kind of wildly exciting. Learning the business side of it was a roller coaster. It's like doing an MA, MBA, sort of on 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 the hoof, which was really exciting and tricky, uh, but uh, also yeah, amazing sort of experience to do that.
0: Just think about how many lessons you would have learned from all of that life experience.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's. It's priceless in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's a it's a wonderful way to yeah, it's a very exciting way to 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 live.
0: And I think that you're you should be really proud because your journey is an extraordinary one. And it's not even over yet.
1: It's not even over. I sort of feel like we're just sort of about oh, probably about halfway. Uh, not even no, that. I mean, not even that. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to come. And it's almost like now I'm like, okay, now I feel ready. Now let's let's really start talking so I need to ask you
0: Lady Gaga we've never discussed this I knew it happened but we've never chatted about it
1: no it, um <laughs> it was it was so I'd I'd um, I'd got to know Nicola Formanchetti when he was doing Gareth Pugh's shows and he was working with Katie Shillingford, who was you know works with with Gareth very closely, so and um, was he a stylist? Nicola's Lady Gaga's stylist. Ah, her, and yes. His, okay. I don't know if he still is, but he he certainly was for many years. He was very much. They were a very strong team in terms of her her look. So it was a you know on two or three occasions he'd he'd called me and said we want these kind of crazy shoes, and I was like, but you want them for the day after tomorrow? Like these shoes that I make take. <laughs> weeks months like I, I I just can't do it for that time frame give me more time and so he anyway the, he kindly kept kept coming back and the third time he's like okay it's 10 days away what can you what can you make um this is the look and it was for her perfume the cover of her perfume um Advertising, so I didn't know what the whole look was going to be, but um, they sort of said it was sort of rubberized and shiny or whatever. So, so I proposed these sort of enormous balls under her feet, with no idea how I was going to make them. Some kind of vague idea, and for and then actually, I was out at the factory that I was working with on my mainline collection then, and I was like, "Oh, I'm doing these shoes for Lady Gaga," and they 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 were, they were really excited about it as well. And I'd at this point, I'd gone through. X, Y, Z number of factories and had actually got my factory that I worked with for many years in Portugal who were wonderful. Female owned, female run. Brilliant, just saying. Um, um, uh, but, it, it, but I say that because it's very, very unusual in, in manufacturing to have that. So, yeah, which was lovely to work with. But, yeah, so they really got behind, you know, I was helping me with aspects of the shoe so and then I made the rest at a um my studio in London we just kind of tried all sorts of experiments with latex and god knows what yeah just to to create these the kind of the units that then went underneath the boots that then kind of went up into the into the into the leg so
0: And were they pleased with the,
1: your end result I think so yeah I mean they used them they they they're there for for time immemorial on the on the cover of the perfume bottles and, and that. Um, so yeah. what are the most famous feet you've been on? I mean, probably hers, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah. She's hers. pretty famous. pretty she, up she, there, she, isn't she? She's, she's pretty famous.
0: You have done many commissions and collaborations. Which one stays in your mind apart from Gaga? Mm,
1: apart from Gar-Gar. Actually, one of my favourites was for Barbie. <laughs> uh, which, um, I... Love Barbie, always have loved Barbie. And so I was asked to do some shoes for her fiftieth birthday, which where there was an exhibition of they had shoe designers from they had I think they had fifty shoe designers and fifty bag designers. And it was an exhibition of these. So there was, I mean, all the kind of big fashion houses and all, and then smaller designers. And it was, so I made her shoes, which were, I was really into building things in the computer. So these were just a little um, little model, which was then made. But I got a last, a proper last, which of course didn't fit Barbie's feet because she doesn't <laughs> actually have feet at work. work. Um, but in the end, I actually I had to cut the end of her toes off to make them fit. Uh, so... Yeah, so I made these kind of these kind of crazy futuristic looking kind of boots that she she ran in. Um, that she ran yeah, in. That she ran in, and then a friend of mine who's a brilliant hairstylist then did her. He did her hair and kind of did this kind of headpiece for her. So that was our. Um,
0: and is it actually thing. on the Barbie doll? so is it so the all sign- the
1: Barbies had had a little black dress, yeah. on we were all given everyone was given the same Barbie, and you couldn't touch the dress, but you could do whatever else you wanted. So the boots came up over her knees but were sort of very futuristic and white and silver, and then she had a kind of sort of visor on that uh, Shemko made, and sort of her hair he sort of did her hair in like the most crazy, fabulous. Way and this is all it. doll size? Yeah. No, so they were all... No, I mean, the actual, the boots were, they're actually this size. Oh, my God. They're tiny. They're really cool. Yeah. Have you got a copy of them? You know, have you still got one or did you just
0: make one pair? Just and make that's one pair and that's wow. it. That's incredible.
1: Um, so how do you go about your design process? Where do you start? I think it varies. It depends on what what I'm designing, uh, what I want to design at the end. I mean, I think I very much believe that designers are, you have to create something that is ultimately functional. So you need to know what the function is. If it's something like a kind of creative, very creative piece, then it you don't need to be able to walk to the shops in it. But then it becomes, if it's something that a sort of fabulous high fashion piece, then it's about the emotion would be the end result of how they make you feel, I think. But I always like pushing technical boundaries in shoemaking and in mold making again actually it goes back to my background at Clarks was a lot of learning about molds which you don't always get to do in kind of if you work initially in luxury so this sort of so bringing in all the different areas of the market i think can be really beneficial to then creating a really interesting product so for me, there's the one side that's the sort of maybe it's something I've seen, maybe it's a design, maybe it's material, maybe it's art or, uh, you know, that inspires me in terms of shape or music. Uh, I normally, when I listen, when I design a collection, I'll listen to one album on repeat all day, every day. <laughs> I think it drives Your important neighbors, nuts. <laughs> Neighbours love you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so that sort of, yeah, and their materials, so it's bringing all those things in together. If you could design anything, what would it be? Anything at all. Mm. I'd I'd like to do shoes for film. I've I've not. I've that's something I've not done that I'd really, I'd love to do that. I think kind of character stuff. I think that would be really fun. And you'd be you. brilliant at that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> you would. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. So, who or what inspires you? What inspires me? In terms of the kind of business of stuff, like strong women, definitely. In terms of kind of actual designing, like the aesthetics of how things work, it can be anything, be it an exhibition or something, shapes, or to very technical things. Sometimes I get really excited about how you I mean such a geek. <laughs> but how you can kind of reuse and think about things in a different way. Um, I think at the moment that you know we're we're very much you know, sustainability and whatever is absolutely at the forefront of what I believe should be. I don't know if it is for everybody, but it should be at the forefront of design. It certainly is for me, for uh, the projects that I'm working on. So that I've found in recent years to be hugely challenging and really exciting to kind of, really push through and and figure out how to design stuff that's sort of ethical and sustainable, whatever that means, whether it's the materials or for a community that's making it or, yeah, that, that I think I find really inspiring at the moment.
0: I think your breadth of design is phenomenal, though, because just... I suppose, being your friend, I know that you go from footwear to interiors to hobby horses. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I do, I do. And they're the only things that
1: I know about, but I know that there's probably about a million things in between that. I think a couple of things have come up recently where people have said to me, so you're, so basically you're a problem solver and you like to find a problem and then find a solution. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that's, that's kind of it. Like and I think that's the thing that I hadn't realized. I've only realized quite recently that that's a, as a designer that I, I believe that's kind of what you're there to do as well. Wh- whatever that problem is, whether it's an aesthetic problem or whether it's actually finding something that's kind of a bigger issue that you want to kind of get involved with, trying to use your skills to to think. I mean, thinking that that's the important bit about designing is thinking. So yeah, using that to create. New things.
0: I'm sort of laughing because th- this one does make me laugh about you. What does a normal day look like in your life? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and from someone that meets Atalanta sometimes in the day,
1: it's quite hectic.
0: <laughs> it's,
1: quite, it's quite hectic, quite varied. Um, I've realised a long time ago that I, I, I always have different things going on because... I find it quite difficult to focus only on one thing. If I focus on one thing, my brain works better on thinking about something else. But yeah, I have a couple of kids, so the day tends to involve getting them to school or whatever, getting them wherever they need to go. I have a studio that's quite it's sort of twenty minutes on my bike from ten minutes from where I live, so getting them to there to the studio. This is this is the calm version. I'm liking where the I calm version. I just totally work solidly all day every day, and then I go home to my children, I put a penny on, and I'm like a perfect mom. That's um. That's, that's not what happens. Um, but yeah, I like the sound of that version. I know. Me too. Me too. I think that's what I I aspire to.
0: Yeah. Um, so, what has been the
1: pivotal point in your career? Do you think? Sure, there's been a been a few. I mean, starting New Gen was obviously a really big thing, but I think also there's personal things that happen that, that also trigger your decisions to do things. For me, my my dad died shortly after I'd done the first House of Holland shoes, which probably took me a couple more years before I then launched my own collection. But I knew I wanted to do it. So that was so there's also I think it's really important to also take into account your kind of personal journey in your business because if you're designing it affects it, I think. So yeah, yeah, probably getting new gen that was pretty pivotal, and then having children was quite had quite an effect as well. Your most
0: challenging project?
1: Oh, the one I'm doing now. <sighs> Are and you allowed to
0: talk about it? No. Oh, <laughs> damn it! We have to get it back um, on.
1: No, I, I've got a couple of projects on at the moment. There's a couple of things that I that I do uh, for shoes, and then I have some other things that I do.
0: That's very exciting. Watch this space. Yeah, yeah what's been the best piece of advice that you have been given?
1: I think the best piece of advice I was given I actually ignored, <laughs> which is how I remember it. it was a really good piece of advice because <laughs> um, I, I don't think I understood it at the time. What was it? When I'd launched my first collection, I delivered three months late. It wasn't it wasn't great. I had big issues with the factory who were charging me a lot of money and I t- some I was given advice that was basically you should shut down now file for bankruptcy. You're done. Uh, you, and I was like, I can't, it's my name and I can't. And, and I felt that it was like a dishonorable thing to do because they'd kind of, they'd really supported me to get there. Although actually they were also now destroying my business. So it was very, it was very complicated, but I think I didn't have the foresight to realize that actually life goes on. You make different decisions and I probably should have done that, learned from it and then set up again, which you can do. And I didn't realize that people go bust so many times and then they keep going and they start again so I think the business side of things I didn't you know that probably was good advice but I I I think I didn't have the I didn't have the foresight or maturity to it or business maturity I was a good designer but I certainly didn't have the business maturity at that point to take that decision I think
0: um the footwear Having your own label in footwear is probably one of the hardest things to have your own label about because you're relying on other people to make the stuff and to ship the stuff and to, to, sh- to make the product, to ship the product and to get it on
1: time. And it's complicated. It's a complicated process. I think it also, I mean, also talking to friends who at the time were setting up their ready-to-wear labels, I think setting up a footwear label, it requires more financial input up front than a fashion label to do but I think that changes as you get if you get big enough then the economies of scale flip and actually it becomes a more profitable business or can do than clothing but it's difficult but it is financially it's very difficult to or it can be very difficult to kind of set it up. And I think the more you talk to people, the more you realise most people have been screwed at some point. yeah. And it is just a part of the journey. And you just have to, yeah, you just keep keep on. If you knew what you knew now, what would you do different? Uh I'd have got a business partner, I think. I would have simplified what I was doing. Uh For my own brand, I would have made it simpler to start with, I think, less. But I think that's also something you can do now. I was launching a label at the end of a wholesale time where you were somehow required to have this, uh, a certain number of very different looks. And I don't think you need to do that now. You can launch it's totally the market. market. It's totally different. Yes. And it's much more accessible, yes. I would say. So you are a Cordwainer. Mm-hmm.
0: What's the importance of being involved in the Cordwainer's company? Love it. Um,
1: (laughs) When I was at Cordwainers, I graduated in two thousand and one or two, I think. But I remember seeing the master sweeping through the halls in my first year with a big cloak on and the kind of big medal thing, Um, and I was like, "That is so cool. Who is that?" (laughs) Um, So, so I was really keen. So I was really honoured when I was invited to, to. to join it was yeah great but actually i love being a part of it because it's it's wonderful to be a part of an institution that has such incredible history to it and longevity but which is also so incredibly positive in supporting people with with no agenda other than supporting people and supporting an industry i mean that's that is extraordinary and that is extraordinarily special um it is unique isn't it it, i mean it really is it really is and i i i yeah, I'm incredibly proud to be a part of that process of as as a way to support people and kind of give back to an industry also that I I love. Last week we had the Cordwainer's Footwear Awards
0: and uh you were one of the judges. What would be your advice for any budding footwear designer or one of the footwear designers that were there on that evening?
1: For, I think stay true to your 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 kind of convictions but also understand that you're a designer and learn to design and learn to kind of make things that function it depends where where you want to go i think what we see at the moment is a lot of people who have the intention of setting up their own label which can be wonderful but there's also an awful lot to be said for learning in other companies but I also don't think having I for me I needed to work for other people before setting up my own label also because I didn't have any money and you need that but I wouldn't say you have to do it that way around.
0: What have you done that you're most proud of?
1: Yeah I think just having a business and keeping it sort of alive and designing what I wanted to do I think probably most proud of having shoes in the V&A actually that was for me that was actually a real turning point of there's, there's something to be again to have work that's a part of a national archive of pinnacles of design is a wonderful thing and to have that kind of i guess just to have that respect from your peers and to be recognized for that is 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 lovely so that was something i was really proud of
0: i think it marks a yeah. moment in time doesn't it as well it sort of encapsulates it puts it in a time capsule
1: yeah no it really it really does and i think yeah that for me that for me was more important than ever, sort of selling and making money and being in, I mean, it was great being in Harvey Nichols and being in all of these shops and everything. That was wonderful. And being on lots of, you know, making shoes for amazing people. But actually somehow being in, in that archive, I felt was a really, um, was really timeless.
0: I'm very proud of you because of this. What would you be if you weren't a designer?
1: I was going to say a farmer, but probably actually not a <laughs> farmer. I did move on from that. Um, I was really keen to do interiors, actually. I would have done, Um, I think if I hadn't gone for shoes, I probably would have moved into interiors, which is what I do slightly do now anyway. But, uh, you know, I also do that. But, um, yeah, so maybe maybe that. Have you got more
0: ambitions for Atalanta Weller
1: footwear? I have. I have. I just... I'm so I took a year out when my uh, I took a season out when I was six months pregnant with my eldest child and I it was meant to be a season but I was working on another project with my husband and that was seven years ago so 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 I've worked I've I've been doing a lot of consultancy jobs since then and the thing is I'm getting such interesting work that I am keen to I will I've got I've got very clear ideas of what I want it to look like and where it's going to where it's going to sit and how it's going to work. But I'm also now, this is probably the other bit of advice. Life is long. You don't actually have to do it. It's long and it's also short, but you don't have to do it all immediately when you come out of college because I'm I'm over 40 now. I mean, I didn't even think of people over 40 when I came out of college. Um, but that's, uh, you know, so there's there's still plenty of, of um, things I want to do with it and I will. It's sort of just a timing thing at the moment. So... You are such an extraordinary
0: designer, and you design across so many different categories. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so i I've designed a lot of very varied shoes which i which I love in different categories. but I had the opportunity a few few years ago in fact my my husband had been sort of since we've met he'd been building this hotel that on this tropical island which um was quite a crazy project. And I got increasingly involved in that. And actually was really sort of ended up designing all of the interiors and then sort of helping with setting that up. And it it coincided with having my first child and and I decided to pause the shoes because I love doing them. But actually this was a new challenge that used all of the skills that I have. And then I was able to learn more different things. And I think that's really important as as you kind of grow as a designer to also be aware that you may be a shoe designer. You may be stuck in one thing, but I think particularly we live in a world where you can move into other areas and sort of, yeah, move into into doing different things. So, yeah, I I love doing interiors and designing that as well, but also kind of managing people around that. That's yeah really interesting for me and really exciting but it doesn't stop me doing shoes so I'm still doing I've just launched or or sort of helped to launch a shoe collection for Olivia Von Halley a few uh, yeah last last autumn which was a really long process through Covid but was a really really great to do that so I think it's really important to be able to be flexible and don't keep yourself in a box because that's what you only get to live once.
0: I think the, th- the thing about you is that you are a chameleon of design and your sculptural forms and the way you think about the design process can fall into anything, which I think is just the- one of the beautiful things about you and your talent. The other thing is that I have worked with you before on projects with the Royal College of Art and you, you do give back a lot. How do you find the teaching process and, and nurturing and nourishing new talent?
1: I I love love teaching, whether it's I've I've been really fortunate to teach at Royal College and also at London College of Fashion at Cordwainers. And I find doing the kind of tutorials and one-to-one work with students so exciting because you get an opportunity to see people's ideas as they're happening and to kind of just to help them to kind of maybe push through blocks or kind of work through stuff to get to a great you know, to get to the next level, to the next result, which um, is such a privilege to be able to do that. And I just, yeah, I just love it. I find it really exciting.
0: So are you ready for the quick fire questions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> high heels or flats?
1: Past high heels, current flats, future high heels. <laughs> <laughs> Fashion trends you just don't get? Those leggings that wrinkle on your bum. <laughs> Favourite food? Momo. Oh, is that, that's where you It's like Nepalese, (laughs) yeah, Nepalese, like dumplings.
0: What's the scariest thing you've ever done?
1: Start my own business.
0: What's your karaoke song?
1: The next thing on the playlist. (laughs) (laughs) And then the one after that. (laughs) Favourite cocktail?
0: Uh, Negroni. Would you rather have an extra arm or an extra eye? Extra eye. What's your favourite read? Uh, praxis. Sun or activity holiday? Oh, activity every time. Best place you've ever visited?
1: The Andaman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Oh, um, <laughs> this is not quick fire. Um, uh, we have another business there. We yeah, I um, creative sort of consultant for a for a hotel there. Uh, just yeah. drop that in. Just drop that in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best travel tip? Um, <laughs> always take your own coffee. Or go to India. Go to the Andaman Islands, but take your own coffee. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my travel essential. How do we get there? Fly to, fly to Chennai. Fly to Port Blair on South Andaman. Take a ferry to Havelock Island. Perfect.
0: What's your guilty pleasure? Way too much trash on Netflix. Tidy or messy? Messy. Do you enjoy building flat pack furniture? Yes. <laughs> most. When are you most productive? <laughs> building flat pack <laughs> furniture um,
1: uh, in the uh, early
0: morning or late at night. Would you rather swim to work or cycle to work? Uh, cycle. Do you think you would make a good prime minister? Yes. I think you would too. So that's been amazing. I've absolutely loved my time with you here in Fulham. Thank you very much for having me. So nice me. to see you in a studio and not in a bar. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> or a coffee shop. Yeah. For more information on Atalanta Wella, where should our listeners go?
1: I think to my webpage atlantawella.co.uk, or my Instagram atalantawella.com.
0: Thank you so much, Atalanta. It has been an absolute joy to walk in your shoes. For more interest in Cordwainers livery, please visit our website, cordwainers.org or our Instagram, WorshipfulCordwainers.